we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Spotlight season of the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm your host, Simone Roche, and I have the pleasure of chatting to role models, trailblazers and changemakers from across the Northern Power Women community and beyond every week, giving you an insight into what these leaders get up to and how they think, which is very interesting. And this week is no different. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Katrina Campbell, EY, first client technology and innovation officer in the UK and Ireland, a published author of AI by Design, A Plan for Living with Artificial Intelligence, and former business founder. In Katrina's role, she harnesses the power of technology and drives innovation to help clients remain competitive in a disruptive environment. And we are absolutely thrilled to have EY as our headline sponsor yet again of the Northern Power Women Awards for the second year in a row and the third year they've supported our awards. Last week, we announced 83 of our shortlist and the social media went absolutely crazy and celebrating and high five these brilliant role models. So really, really thrilled to have the support of EY. But Katrina is a renowned behavioral psychologist, a leader in human computer interaction, and is leading the launch of EY's first Neuro Center of Diversity in Manchester later this month, which we are really excited to support and get involved in. Katrina, what a welcome. What a bio. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Simone. Gosh, yes, it does sound like I've been very busy, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it, it does. I think it's always, I think it's like when we, we just announced the awards and when as part of that process, the the nominee has to sort of respond to the questions if you like so we get to know about them and I think sometimes it's, it's that cathartic process of writing things down you know um, and, and, and listing things and you think actually I'm okay so yeah exactly I think we left out the best bit though I've got a lovely husband called Sean and three children Ross, Jamie and Sophia so I tend to split my my life between both home life and obviously work life and try to get the balance right I have done for um, you know the last 20 odd years and just just before we go into the questions, what's your top tip for that? Because I, I find myself being a bit lousy at that. So what's your top yeah, tip? I think in this always connected world, Simone, it's really hard. And if I'm completely honest, I tend to find getting out of the house, uh, you know, go, we go on a lot of walks, we play a lot of golf, we play a lot of tennis. The kids are very, very active. And I think because we force ourselves out of the house, the mobile phone's in the pocket, the laptop's in the office, and, you know, there's conversation had whilst walking. So... We're very fortunate to live in Scotland just now, um, smack in the middle of Perthshire, uh, near Glen Eagles, if anyone knows that area. Um, and it is wonderful to get outside all the time. So that's how I do it. I'm outside a lot. And I think we talked about that in the pre-chat, about really sort of enabling yourself or, um, you know, um, charging yourself with getting out every day, you know, and making the most of getting wrapped up and getting out for that walk or on the golf course or, you know, and putting that technology down. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, you know, people, are, I saw a lot of LinkedIn posts recently, people bragging about being back to back in meetings. 
I think finding the time for each other as well as for ourselves is really important. So I tend to build in personal time and work time into my diary. And I won't agree to, you know, back to back 30 minute calls. I don't think that's a way to work. And it's yeah. certainly not the way I can be successful. So, no, I do put that in and I do. I'm very fortunate to have a couple of dogs. So we're out um, for 30 minute walks twice a day. Oh, what dogs are they? We're always passionate about Northern Power Pets. Uh, they're wee cockapoos, wee cockapoos, oh. two wee black cockapoos, sisters. They keep each other company when we're out and about in the hills. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> well, well, listen, this is our spotlight season of the podcast uh, here at Northern Power Women. And we're all about role models. Um, you know, everyone is a role model to someone. That's always our adage, you know. But who is a role model to you and, and why? Lovely. Well, I mean, there's been so many role models. So I'll just very quickly mention a couple. So Martha Lane Fox started oh, yes. off um, lastminute.com, and then a whole plethora of amazing businesses. Um, and I was voted into the Digital Hall of Fame in 2005, I think it was, with Martha. Um, and so she's incredible. She's she's a role model. But I have to say there's another role model um, that, that I've been following for some time. Her name is Professor Frances Fry. She's a professor at Harvard University, written the most incredible books. And Professor Fry, um, I had the pleasure of spending some time with in London when I, when I was starting up my business. And she was effectively the lady who said, he, she gave me the rule book and she said, this is how you do it. As a female in technology, this is what you do. I'd read a whole bunch of books about startups, but nothing quite as good as her advice had come out. And she talks about authentic, competent and empathetic leadership. She says, you know, you have to have trust in a business. And as a role model, you have to be trusted. People tend to trust you when they believe that you're interacting with them authentically. When you when they have faith in your judgment and that's your competence and when they feel that you care about them and that's empathy. And so what I've tried to do in my career is to be both authentic and competent, but also empathetic with those I'm working with. And I think it's really important when we talk about building technology later on that we consider all of those when we're building technology as well, because humans require that kind of authenticity and the competence and and the empathy now from technology. I'll talk more about AI later and and how we can build AI to be all of those things to to improve humanity. I know because sometimes it can be that scary. It's it's a bit like, oh, that's going to exclude me or cut me out or whatever. And it's it's interesting you talk those three words, uh, um, you know, the authentic and empathy, particularly those two words. We're in in sort of the second year now of doing some research with Teesside University, which was kicked off during the first pandemic, um, which was all about looking at the new traits of leadership. Mm -hmm. And and I think it was in the midst of um, various um, male leaders doing very bizarre things or very, you know, sort of probably felt like unleadership things and then you've got Jacinda Ardern over in New Zealand talking about the Easter bunny on a, on a press conference yeah. and stuff like you know and I think when we did um, a catch-up or an update a progress report on the the leadership and actually they were the they're the two words that empathy and authentic are those two words that come out time and time again when it talks about good leadership and new leadership and this isn't designed to be through a gender lens mm-hmm. it's designed to just be good leadership vulnerability you know compassion listening yeah. you know so it's interesting. And how long ago did Professor Francis Fry give this advice? So, so, I mean, gosh, that was really early. So it must have been about 2005, 2006 when she started talking about this. And um, and it was for me, it was a bit of a, a kind of, you know, light bulb moment because, you know, everybody was was in, in 2000 when I was raising finance to set up my startup in 2000. 
you know, everybody was thinking, you know, it's all about competence. It's all about um, how much funding you can raise. It's all about, you know, the, the amazing team of talent you can recruit. Um, it's all about how fast you can build the technology. I took a step back and I thought, no, actually, it's about getting the right team in place. And regardless of where they've come from, what their skills are, we can build that. But it's having the right types of people yeah. within the business. And I'm very fortunate in that when I sold the startup that I that I built, we had four offices around the world. When, when I sold that to EY in 2015, almost everyone stayed with the firm. And it is remarkable now where I walk through the floor in uh, London's headquarters for EY and I see all those people that, um, that were on that journey with me at the very start. You know, um, one particular individual who joined me on almost day one in the year 2000, this still works in EY and is doing some incredible work with EY now. So just, just, a, just a brilliant advice, get the right people who are authentic, competent and have empathy. People at the heart of everything, aren't they? Yeah. People at the heart of it. Is that is that right. every is that fingerprint leadership almost? You know, it's we can we can use technology to do X amount of things, but actually we also need it's that balance. It's, it's the balance again. Everything's about balance, isn't it? And exactly. and and, and working in digital innovation um, has been a very male dominated sector. Um, has that been your experience? Well, well, when I raised finance in two thousand, I had a I had a phenomenal idea, Simone. Um, I'd worked in industry. I'd worked for Barclays designing their first online bank. I'd worked for GE, um, which was at the time the biggest company in the world. So it was the, it was the it was the Google, right? And I'd been client side, industry side for some time. And when I looked at what we were building in terms of technology, the technology we were building was in a male-dominated environment, not necessarily as easy to use or or as efficient or effective or satisfying in terms of technology design that it could be. And I, I just couldn't find an agency to work with me. So I downed tools, I resigned, and that was very unlike me. My father was a lifer at IBM, so I'd grown up in technology. You know, he'd worked for industry forever. And so it was very difficult for me to do so, but I did, I resigned and I uh, sought funding from the city in London. And as a northerner coming down to London, I mean, first of all, that was a big step. Uh, in my early 20s. And then second of all, it was really difficult to raise the finance. So actually what I had to resort to, Simone, was actually some 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 tricks of the trade. I actually took in a couple of, um, uh, of, of males who hadn't joined my business at the time with me to help me pitch. And because I went in with a kind of more diverse, not just not just me and, and my other female colleague, but because I went in with a, a diverse um you know, range of individuals, so two males, two females, we got the funding within within the first meeting. So instead of two women rocking up to get some funding, it was two two males and two females. Um, so the funding was there. And I, I did, I looking back now, I think, you know, when I tried it on my own and when I went in with one female colleague, the answer was no. When I went in with males, the answer was yes. And and you kind of think, gosh, that that's dreadful. No, I guess, I guess I played the system, Simone. I guess it had to be done at the time. So in 2000, gosh, 22 years ago, things have really moved on now. Things have moved on almost in, in, in you know, female entrepreneurs' favour now because it's actually something that female entrepreneurs are doing incredibly well now, raising finance. So, yeah, difficult time, difficult time to raise finance in 2000. Uh, but, gosh, uh, we were successful and we built an incredibly successful business. Can I ask what the business is? So, so in 2000, I raised finance to build a service design agency, a an agency that would build technology um, with all of the human 
interaction required so that it would be incredibly easy to use. So if I look at one of our great first clients, it was Skype. So we helped Skype design the interface and the way that the technology would operate. So that was back in uh, 2003. Oh, ask, where did this come from? Where did, you know, I'm going to create the startup business and I'm going to, I'm going to motivate Skype. A few years later, I probably would have invented Zoom, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, the skills, human computer interaction are are, are, a kind of, almost like a combination of psychology and technology and it's the ability to build technology so coders tend not to spend terribly much time with the user the hci expert spends time with the user and asks the user how they want the technology to operate so it's a really important part of technology the design component and so i'm a technology designer as opposed to a coder Oh my good! I need I need I need to I need to um, um, hire you for a few days. Definitely, you know, once I've won the lottery. Did you know? Only say this: we built a, a power platform um, two years ago, and then we've rebuilt it. If you like, we built that minimal viable product, and then we yeah. we built it again. And 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 the whole idea of the power platform was to create. This sounds terrifying, but create a, an online or technical version of me because really? I'm passionate about connecting people with people and people yeah. with opportunity, and wanted everything to have that human feel to it. Yeah. If you like, but just with that. That simplicity yep. and 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 that and and that's the hardest thing you know a year ago I didn't think I'd be employing a software developer but the hardest thing is 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 almost it's a different language um mm-hmm. almost trying to say this is what I want it to do jazz yeah. hands yes. but almost trying to explain all the business processes along the way it's it's yep. a it's a tough job <laughs> I need some top <laughs> and, tips and uh, and uh, yeah and that's where the translator the HCI person comes in so, so here in EY, we have teams upon teams building technology with all of our expertise. If we look at EY, we're really good at giving tax advice. Normally, we would give that person to person. So we would go in with a team of tax experts and we'd sit down with the head of tax for a business and we'd tell them all about their tax, go through their VAT returns, etc. Now, all of that expertise is built into a SaaS product, built into a software application that they can then download, have on their own system at their place of work, and that does the job for them. So we're building our expertise into our software as a service um, technologies, and that's my job now. So I'm loving being the translator of our expertise, what it is that the the, uh, requirement is from the business, and then working with the techies to build that out. So that's what you, your role, EY, is client technology and innovation officer. But actually, we could change that. You're an interpreter, interpret, yes. <laughs> interpreter and efficiency builder. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and you know, I, I do a number of other things as well. So we're building client technology, as you said, but the innovation part of my title is really important because, you know, we can't stand still, right? So um, part of my role is to work with our emerging technologists across our business, And I mentioned, and you mentioned AI earlier on. Well, one of the things that I'm responsible for is ensuring that we can productize our AI expertise and help businesses understand how not just to implement AI, but also how to manage AI. So if you think um, you may have read in the press about Amazon and building biased operating systems for AI, So garbage in, garbage out is all about data and getting the right data into a system in order to provide the right outputs. And so that's where we come in. We monitor, like an auditor does, we monitor the AI decision making and the data so that it's not biased. And so we have a great team who look after the ethics of AI and the buy and work out the bias uh, in a system for clients. And that's a really exciting part of my innovation role. 
And this is this is fascinating, actually, because for those of people who know what an EY is, you've talked about tax auditing, you know, people, yeah. and I think this is always my challenge is so many people talk about STEM and STEAM, you know, mm-hmm. acronyms. And, and we talked about this um, uh, a few weeks ago on, on the podcast. I think sometimes you get overwhelmed with that. Oh, everyone's got to be STEM or STEAM. But yeah. the thing is, every organization Everyone has is. technologically needs right. it. And it's not just white men in a room on yes. coding. You know, yes. it's not yep. just about that. This is, it's the innovation uh, around that and the magic. So it's almost, yep. it's its trying to say everything that we've done, how do we do it better, yeah. smarter? Yeah. Um, Agreed. And, I, you know, it's really interesting. I think um, the, the consumer adoption of technology is really ensuring that businesses also um, adapt really, really quickly and transform to to make sure that they can deliver the right technology. I mean, I don't know if people on listening to the podcast have children, but Roblox has been incredibly successful. So is Minecraft. Now, both of those programs, both of those um, software um, developers decided that they would create a game that was about programming. So Roblox is actually you programming, you're building things into that Roblox world. At Minecraft, you're building buildings, et cetera. And that is actually coding. We're teaching our kids to code through gaming, which is incredible. And then, of course, most children now in as part of the national curriculum have coding built into to their, to their education as well. Perhaps not as much as I would like perhaps not as much as um, other uh, countries have, certainly not as much as the East. So over in China and Malaysia, um, Korea, we've got um, three-year-olds learning to code. And we're not talking about, you know, little bits of coding that our kids do. We're talking about full-on massive classes in coding. So, um, yeah, Roblox, uh, Minecraft, we're building coding into these children's being and and so I think that the level of adoption of technology is just so high now with future generations that really businesses have got no choice but to, to adapt. How do we educate parents as well around this as well mm. to fit you know because often it's have a tablet keep yourself occupied or put that down and engage with how do you again I'm coming back to that balance question how do we how do we educate and inform there to say that this is you know this could be useful and will be useful yeah yeah so so there really is um there's a lady called Baroness Susan Greenfield what she did was she did a study for the Royal Society and it was effectively around um maturing brains so when children are young and their brains are developing how much um blue light how much technology is too much and basically what she did was she analysed um, the brains using MRI scans, etc., of children who had no technology. So she looked at Aboriginal children and then she compared them to UK-based children of all different age groups. And what she discovered was actually the left-hand side of the brain was growing more slowly than the right-hand side of the brain in some of our children. I mean, phenomenal piece of research. I'm not sure um, if it's been been further analysed, but certainly at the time when I was reading it, I was going, well, that actually makes sense. You know, they're, they're not linguistically, we're not communicating, we're not conversing as much as we used to. So that part of the brain may, may have, may have um, a slower growth pattern. So what, what I would say is for parents out there, it needs to be everything in moderation. Okay, so make sure that the school is teaching and you're comfortable with the level of technology that your children are learning. If they're not learning enough, join girls who code, join kids who code. There are coding camps and clubs all over the place, but do make sure that it's not the 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 only thing they're doing. Do make sure that it's iPads and phones down when it's dinner time and we're conversing around the table because 
all of that incredibly important for the for the for the growth of the brain. And uh, my own children, for instance, every summer have been going on a tech camp instead of having a, co- a hockey camper. You know, when I'm busy, we put them in kids clubs in the summer <laughs> rather than going on a hockey camp or a tennis camp or a kids camp. They go to a tech camp. And, and that's been really important for my children. And obviously, Simone, I would, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really important for them that they continue their education, even in the holidays. And it's not just all games. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's where I'm coming from. So finally, tell me about this really exciting opening in Manchester, the EY's Neurodiverse Centre of Excellence. I'm so excited. Why did you decide to open it? You're going to be, um, there's an ambition, isn't there, to hire 150 neurodivergent individuals. Yep. Tell me about it. Cannot wait. I spoke to Tori, one of your team, a few weeks ago uh, before Christmas. I'm really excited about this. Yep. Brilliant. So let me start with the definition then. So the neurodivergent Um, individuals and there's neurotypical individuals. Neurodiverse individuals tend to have um, potentially have ADD, ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, etc. Now, there are, we estimate 20% of the workforce has some form of neurodiverse needs. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing, right? That means that that can actually be a really good thing for our teams. So when we EY set up five years ago an innovation function in America, the leader of that function uh, reached out to uh, our head of neurodiversity over there. And the head of neurodiversity said, yeah, sure, I can recruit people to do innovation for you. And what was really intriguing, Simone, was that the neurodiverse individuals that they recruited into that innovation center were so much more innovative than the neurotypicals because there was just a different line of reasoning and thought um, for some of these for some of these people that when we included them in this innovation team, we started to think differently. So we also did it because five years in, we have a 95% retention rate of those individuals. 95%. Wow. Now, if you said to me, here's a great data engineer, he's an AI specialist, He's been working in the field for three, five years, okay? I doubt I'd be able to retain him for more than two, three years, okay? Five years. So we thought to ourselves, well, obviously it's the right thing to do is to make sure that our teams are really, really diverse because that makes us better. But also there's some incredibly untapped talent out there. So let's look at the labour market and let's decide where to do this first. So we chose Manchester. Manchester, because the office managing partner, Stephen Church, is just awesome. (laughs) Uh, We also realised there were incredible, incredible schools and universities all around our office, right in the heart of Manchester. And we thought, what a perfect location. Brilliant building, great team, great potential pipeline for candidates. And yes, we've recruited our first cohort, as we call them. They're all starting on the 17th of January. We cannot wait to get started with them. And we can't wait to recruit up to, as you said, 150 people to do this for us and to start innovating with EY. Oh, we cannot wait to support and amplify what you're doing as well, you know. And I think as as part of this headline sponsorship, sponsorship that EY and and Stephen Church has been a massive advocate as well. This is the second year being headline partner. Really looking forward to getting everyone in a room in March. Why is it so important for EY to support an organisation like Northern Power Women in the awards? Well, I mean, by spotlighting individuals, what we can do is we can spotlight success and we can then engender ambition in other women 
uh, in the north, as far north as I am. It's been absolutely brilliant for our business to engender that ambition in our people and also within our clients. So thank you very much for letting us be part of this with you. And thank you all. Thank you uh, for letting me take part in this. It's been oh, great fun. No, thank you. And the one thing I'm so, so grateful for is EY were present at the launch of Northern Power Women way back. In fact, EY um, hosted our my very first TEDx Whitehall Women event in, in London, gosh, back in 2012. So Brilliant. there's always been an amazing re- relationship there. So massively, I'm always really passionate here about having those purposeful partnerships and not just, here we go, we'll come together, we'll do this. It's actually, you know, and I'm absolutely fascinated talking to you today, Katrina. All the information that we've talked about will be in the show notes so you'll be able to catch up. There's so many top tips in here. I can feel so many so many t-shirt slogans and tote bags out of this. But Katrina, thank you so much for chatting to me today. A pleasure. I'm even more excited now to see our partnership flourish in 2022. And thanks to you for tuning in today. Please do tell your friends about our podcast. Reach out to us on socials at North Power Women on Twitter and Northern Power Women on all our social media. Check out the shortlist on our website, northernpowerwomen.com or drop us a line at podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Lots of northernpowerwomen.coms in there. Join us next week when I'll be joined by another and amazing role model. But for now, I'm Simone Roche. You've been listening to the Northern Power Women podcast a what goes on media production. <laughs>